Hey everybody, and welcome to Well Said, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's podcast, where we talk with students, faculty, and staff about what's going on on campus and around the world. And today we're talking about interactive and more inclusive classrooms with Kelly Hogan and Vigi Sathy. Dr. Hogan is the Director of Instructional Innovation for the UNC College of Arts and Sciences and a Senior STEM Lecturer in the Biology Department. And Dr. Sathy is a Senior Lecturer in the Department of Psychology and Neuroscience and a Special Projects Assistant to the Senior Associate Dean for Undergraduate Education. You're both known for your work in creating more interactive classes here at Carolina. So where did this idea come from? What made you want to transform your teaching methods to be more interactive? So for me, the changes really started, then the wheels started turning before fall 2010. I had some data that was dropped on my desk from a colleague, Bob Henshaw, at the Center for Faculty Excellence. And the data showed the class that I teach the most had some real inequity. And when we look at the rate of students earning Ds and Fs in the class, it was about one in three black students compared to about one in 20 for white and Asian students. And that really disturbed me because I thought I was a good teacher and we don't usually see data like that in our classrooms. It really got me thinking. I talked to my colleague in biology, Jean Desay, who also taught the section, and we were both really disturbed and wanted to do something about it. At the same time, through professional development in our own discipline, looking at technologies that were available, we said, let's see if we can do something. And so we both took similar approaches, but I really dove in much deeper in a summer session. I was provided a Lenovo grant through the Center for Faculty Excellence to to really think about redesigning the course and how to incorporate technology. And I really think that the technology was more personalized at that point, so the program could give students instant feedback and hints. So this is all an online homework program. Give them instant feedback and hints and allow them to really think about how they were personally learning. And then the in-class component with the polling and all of that can also be personalized, but that's a a different aspect to the learning as well. Well, for me, it was a little bit later, and I had gone to the first, I believe it was the first faculty showcase that the Center for Faculty Excellence had put on, and I went to a session about screencasting. And in that session, I learned about this tool that would allow me to explain material through a screen. I really liked the idea of doing that. And in part, one of the things that that attracted me to that idea was that I was getting frustrated in the classroom because I teach a quantitative course. And I found that many students process the material at different rates in the classroom. And so it was really challenging for me to think of a way to include everyone in the conversation when people were understanding the material at different rates. And so I wanted to try to figure out a way in which I could get people on the same page when we come to class. And I thought the screencast seemed like a great tool for that because it gave me the opportunity to do some basic calculations, for example, before class began. And the students who needed to see those calculations a few times could view the video a few times. And the students who didn't need to, who maybe saw the formula and knew how to apply it right away, didn't need to watch the video. So for me, it felt like a way to level the playing field in the classroom, but also to give students more individualized instruction and to help them take the material at the pace that seems suitable to them, which I think in quantitative courses, you can see that happen a lot more. There's a lot more diversity in that processing time. So Dr. Hogan, what do these more interactive classrooms look like in action? 
it's noisy, it's messy, it's fun. So the students come in ready to practice what they learned about the night before. And so it might start immediately with a question that then leads to the students talking to each other after they've had some time to think. Maybe that's arguing, justifying, drawing. It might look like technology where they're inputting things on their phones or their laptops, but the room is definitely noisy and you see students pointing at the screen and with each other and sometimes even like crawling over each other to talk to someone else. And then the idea is that after they have really wrestled with it, we as the experts come back together and say, you've done a really great job. Here are the things I'm hearing and seeing. Now let's think about how we put it all back together. As a professor and as a teacher, does it get you excited to see your students working like that in the classroom? Yeah, it definitely gets me excited thinking about not not just, I think in the format that I had before, which was, there was some active learning, but it was primarily a one-way delivery of material. I felt I knew what I was going to say about the material, but to me it was much more exciting to hear them say what they are learning and, and also articulate what some of their challenges were. Really, it allowed me to get into their minds a lot more, which makes me a better instructor, because if I know how they're thinking, I can anticipate what where they're going with that thought and things that I might need to do to help them get on the right course. So it, it just makes it much more transparent what the learning process looks like for my material. It makes me a better educator because I'm able to design assignments and analyses that really get them to think critically about the material that they might sometimes get hung up on the first time around. So you both have been teaching in these interactive classrooms for a few years now. Are you seeing good results? Are you seeing the changes that you wanted to see? Yeah, so I worked with a statistician who compiled results looking at me teaching in a more traditional, what we would say more instructor-focused method, where the students were delivered more content without as much practice at home, none of these things we've been describing, to me in my first three semesters implementing this active learning, high structure with students practicing before, during, and after class. And it had a big impact on groups that I didn't even know were struggling. So for example, first-generation college students, there was an achievement gap there that I didn't know about. Within three semesters, I had closed that gap. There was a gap for our black students that I halved within the first three semesters. And the important point beyond all that is that everybody is achieving more. And that sometimes gets lost in these exciting results with the achievement gap closing. But the important point is that everybody's learning more and we're seeing results like these being replicated in other courses on campus where they're using methods and going from a more traditional to a more student-centered approach. So since then, more recent semesters, I have some hints that the gaps are closing for Latino students, maybe even closed for black students. And you know, we continue to look for markers of not just achievement gaps closing, but student learning enhanced too. And you know, these are these are hard studies to look at, but we are getting at those and lots of different professors on campus are really interested in taking measurements and seeing what we're learning about student learning. I applied for a CFE redesign grant and that grant allowed me to make these changes, but also allowed me to evaluate the impact that these changes would have on students. And so as part of that, I had a control semester. So the semester that I taught the material just the way I typically teach the material, where it may have been something like 60 to 70% lecture with a good dose of active learning in there, but not, not primarily active learning. And then after the redesign, looking to see 
how students did on the same measures, so the same exams. And all that was changing was the structure of the material and even the same lecture material. So the material that I had lectured in one semester, I had just put it in a screencast and provided it in small chunks to students to see if the delivery format could enhance the performance. And so I have analyzed that data and I have a manuscript in submission now that's looking at the learning outcomes, but also some of the other sort of softer aspects that might be of interest to people. So for example, I looked at motivation as well to see if students' motivation is, in, is higher, their engagement is higher. And what I saw is not only do all students learn more through these test scores, but they also report being more motivated. They also report being more interested in the topic, which is really important to me because I see ourselves in the world becoming more quantitatively focused and more data oriented. And if I can get more students interested in data science and in being just numerate to understand numbers, then I've opened the door for more students to maybe go on to take further coursework or at least basically understand that they may need to know more before they act. What are some of the keys to creating a more interactive and more inclusive classroom? I guess I'll throw our first suggestion out, which is to put the student first, that this is focused around student learning and it's not the topics you want to teach. It has to start with what we would call backwards design. So you start by asking, what is it that I want the students to know and to be able to do? And then you start designing the activities and the curriculum that match those learning outcomes. And I don't think that in higher ed, in science education, we've been very focused on that as the way to design a course. And I would add, not only are we focused on student learning, we have to recognize that we learned in a certain way and we became experts because of the characteristics we hold. Our students are a very diverse population. They are not gonna hold the same characteristics, they're not gonna hold the same background that we may have. And so in building a more inclusive classroom where everyone gets to participate, I think it's important to have features of the classroom that allow you to get into their minds more often, to understand where they're coming from and articulate their thought process, because that's the only way you're gonna be able to revise your thought process and how to deliver the material, and also to make sure that you are not assuming that there is a single correct way to explain the material, because students understand things in different ways. And if you can get them to talk to one another and explain it to each other, especially as novices, we have something called the blind, the blind spot, the expert blind spot when we teach. And that's because we know the material so well, we sometimes forget where those initial hurdles are. And having an interactive classroom is a way to keep the pulse on those blind spots. I like to think of three short statements to help people think about planning their courses. One is practice, practice, practice. And that is a simple statement based on what cognitive scientists tell us about how people learn. If you think about how you learned to swim the breaststroke, say, you didn't learn it by watching some Olympian swim it on TV. You learn it by getting in the pool with a coach. And you need to set up opportunities where students can practice routinely throughout the semester, and that means at home, in class, with you, and then outside of class to review. Another phrase I like for people to think about is that students don't do optional. And on a syllabus, we might say reading for tomorrow and list a chapter. Well, students aren't gonna do that if there's no requirement to do that. And the language that students speak in terms of requirement are points. And so there need to be points associated with accountability for having read very specific pages. Maybe they have to come in with some questions already done. This might lead to online homework, but 
all of those things matter in terms of holding students accountable for the learning before, during, and after for that practice. And ask, don't tell. And this is sort of what we've been describing, but rather than telling students content, start with a really interesting, intriguing question. Maybe it's relevant to their lives. Allow them to wrestle with it, see what it is that they know and don't know already. And then they'll be on the edge of their seats waiting for others and you as the expert to help them fill in the gaps in their learning. So we've been talking a lot about the interactive nature of your classrooms, but they're also designed to be very inclusive. So why is it important for you to have an inclusive classroom? Well, my own research has shown that as I changed my teaching to be much more student-centered and inclusive, that the students feel it. We took a measurement of community. How much do you feel like you're a part of this community? And not surprisingly, in a traditional lecture class, you're just sitting there quietly in a room, maybe hiding in the back, maybe not even showing up you're not gonna feel like you're really part of something. But if every day you're used to talking to the partners around you several times in the class, your professor walks around and is in, in your face and saying, what do you think about this problem? You know, you feel much more part of something. And so we definitely see this feeling of community and belonging increasing for students who are part of an inclusive classroom. It's absolutely right that students also feel like they're part of a community. And I'd go beyond that one step to say, it's really clear to students that I care about their learning when I teach in this way. It makes it absolutely transparent when I am right next to them to ask them, what do you think? What are, what are your thoughts on this question? Where, how did you get there? And also that they see that everyone in the room is engaged in the material. There's not a chance to be a loafer in the back of the room. There, you are a part of this whether you like it or not, but oftentimes they do. I mean, I, I, there's probably always going to be a handful of people who don't appreciate this, but because we see learning gains improve across the board, it's overall a better method to bring everybody across. And it is a really helpful technique to convey that you care about what they're learning and that ideally what you want is mastery for every student in the classroom. This topic of creating inclusive classrooms is going to be the subject of a Carolina Conversations event that you're both going to be speaking at on September 19th. What is this discussion going to look like, and what do you want the audience to take away from it? Well, it is a Carolina Conversation, so we are anticipating that we have opportunities for individuals to talk to one another about their experiences, and what we'd like to do is really just provide some exercises that allow people to think about some of their experiences and how they might be improved, as well as voice any concerns that they have. We want to also model what we talk about in terms of what an inclusive classroom looks like. So your original question was, what does an inclusive classroom look like? What does an active classroom look like? We're going to be modeling some of those techniques and specifically having people feel and understand what a non-inclusive classroom feels like to people like themselves and to have some empathy for people different from themselves in those classrooms. We've talked about what you've done in classrooms to this point to make them more inclusive and interactive. But going forward, what still needs to be done to create better classrooms for our students? One thing that I see us talking more about are the spaces that we teach in. So the facilities that we teach in right now, many of them are structured and focused around the instructor. So there may be a stage even, or just a single podium at the front of the classroom with fixed seating, everyone facing forward. And the kinds of classrooms that Kelly and I have really involve a lot of student group work 
and it's not the easiest to conduct in these spaces. And so we are hearing conversations now about the value of having classrooms that allow students to work in smaller groups. And we have our first large interactive classroom in Green Law 101, and I was part of that planning process, rethinking that fixed seating room to engage more learners in a smaller setting. And that space is a really wonderful space. Faculty can go and tour the space and see what it looks like. And ideally, we would have more spaces like that that would accommodate even larger groups of students. But it does lend itself to that loud atmosphere where students are able to speak to one another. But it also has ton of technology incorporated where students can project information at their desktop to their group, for example. So there's several screens in the room. You can go around the room and talk about the same problem from different approaches. And um, there's no single center or front of the room. It's really just anywhere the instructor wants to be. So I think facilities and um, physical classroom redesign is next. When you look at some of what we're doing, even with the radical changes we've made, that we're still not at a place in a lot of disciplines where we're really practicing authentic thinking and doing the things that scientists do or, or doing the things that a social scientist does in their day-to-day life. And so one aspect of this is within the sciences is going to be touched upon in the QEP, the Quality Enhancement Plan, which is part of the SACS reaccreditation. And we're going to specifically be looking at our hands-on lab experiences and how maybe those need to be thought, rethought again about are we having students repeat experiments that have been done over and over? If so, that's not what scientists do. Scientists ask new questions to create new knowledge. So we want students to really model what scientists do and ask novel questions that nobody knows the answer to. And so these are called cures or course-based undergraduate research experiences. And we're hoping to see that these are going to pop up in many of the science and math department around Carolina so that we can really practice that authentic thinking. And then I'd also add that we have, through the Carolina Thrive initiative, we have the opportunity to address the whole student, not just the academic side, but to really be thinking about how to support the student. Um, And if they have any concerns in their life that we as Often the front lines as an instructor are able to provide them with resources or at least point them to the resources that would be helpful to them and really communicate to students that we are here to see them thrive and that it's important to us that they succeed. You can hear more from Dr. Hogan and Dr. Savvy on September 19th at Carolina Conversations. The event will be held at the Student Union at 5 p.m. And don't forget to check back to unc.edu next week for another episode of Well Said.